Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. The Spirit of God is powerful in the house this morning. Someone might look on this event and say, wow, this, these people are emotional. My goodness, look at all. I stand here in tears this morning myself, feeling the power of God. The mercy that he just rains down. The presence that we feel in this house this morning. It is an emotional thing. It's a powerful thing. Because he knows our hearts. He knows the desires of our hearts. And how much we love him and we praise and we worship him. Yes. He's literally touching hearts right now. Do you understand? Do you understand the power of the Savior that we serve? He's touching hearts this very moment. He's, he's wrapping his arms around people and saying, yes, I know that struggle. I know that pain. I know what you're feeling this morning. I love you. I love you is what he's saying. And yes, maybe we get a little emotional and maybe this power just moves over us. It's overwhelming. Sometimes it's difficult to even stand. That's the merciful and gracious and wonderful Savior that we serve. I would wish for every person, every person in this house to feel exactly that and to understand the power of what that really is. So you can have religion. You can say the words and you can follow the deal and you can follow the ceremony. But I'd trade everything I own and everything I've ever had in all of that religion for just a few moments of what we're feeling in the presence of God this very moment and how he's working with us and dealing with us and loving us this morning. Let's just lift our hands and just praise him one more time. In Jesus' name. God, thank you, Jesus, for mercy and grace. Thank you, God, for loving your creation, loving your people so much that you would meet us here right where we're at, that you would embrace us, God, Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your anointing, Lord God. We're so thankful, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You can be seated if you wish. You can stand and continue to pray. I don't care. God's in control of this service. But it isn't it amazing when we call on him and he inhabits our praises. I have been preparing for this message for several weeks. I've had several of our leaders involved in preparation, our music team involved in preparation. God has impressed upon me so powerfully the need for the message that I want to deliver you today. In church, I feel so unworthy. I feel so incapable of executing this message as God would have it. You deserve so much more. But I have to be obedient to my Lord. Thank you. And what a, what a tremendous honor and a, a wonderful privilege it is to be used in the kingdom and be used in the house this way. And so I'm very thankful for that. And so today, as you may have heard through the social media and the things that we've put out there, I want to talk to you today about battle. And I know that there's people in this room today that are dealing with battle. And when I say battle, I want you to think of challenge, problem, decision, 
whatever it may be, it's a battle, an enemy, whatever it is that you're facing. And I know there's people in the house. God has spoken to me. He's laid it upon my heart. You understand, I know that some of you are probably thinking to yourself, the mantle has not passed yet. But I want you to understand that doesn't mean that even as an associate pastor or an upcoming pastor or a new guy, that I don't feel the depth of what it is that you're going through. See, the role of the pastor simply is is to care for the sheep, to be the shepherd, and to love everyone. Jesus said he'd let 99 of them go just to chase after one that was wandering off and in danger. And so I know battles that are being struggled with in the house today. Some I don't know. But he's impressed on me today that we've got to talk about battle, but we've got to define it. You've got to become excellent at battle in this world that we live in. And I'm talking about spiritual battle. I'm talking about the battle that goes on up here and the battle that goes on in here. Far too much, we've been laid waste, we've been knocked down, we've been beaten down, we're missing out on the great blessings of God. We're seeing things pass us by when time is already so short. Every person in this room could be extremely powerful in the kingdom, even more so than maybe you already have been if you just knew how to really fight a battle. Now, I'm not, I'm not attacking or criticizing anybody. I want you to know that for weeks, for weeks, God has dealt with me on this message. God spoke this message to me first, okay? I am the first and foremost. I feel like Paul. Paul said, I'm the worst of all the sinners you can imagine. I'm the worst at this battle thing you've ever known. But he's teaching me. But he's asking me to teach it to you as well. I have one scripture to start out this message with this morning. You can remain seated. You've been standing a long time. Open to Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to read Joshua chapter 6 and 27, and the first word of Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. Joshua 6 and 27 says this. It says, So the Lord was with Joshua... And his fame was noised throughout all the country. But, and it's that word that I want to focus on. But I'm going to take a step back for a second and thank you. Uh, it was Brother Rob and then uh, um, Brother Michael, I believe, this morning who, who shared some excellent words with us uh, and talked about, I'm sorry, Brother Mike Meyer talked about, if you missed Sunday school this morning, another excellent message. Thank you, Brother Meyer, for a really excellent message. Uh, see, he kind of tripped into my message this morning, but see, that's how God works. And we didn't compare notes. I just said, do your thing, and, and I, I love how he teaches as well. And so everybody in this room probably is very familiar with the Battle of Jericho, and we know that what that all it was. And Jericho, that's a misnomer. Jericho really was not a battle at all. You see, God brought the children of Israel over, over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and he said, you know, just because you're in the Promised Land doesn't mean you're not going to have battles, that you're not going to have problems. As a matter of fact, I'm promising you that you're going to have battles in your life. For those of you that are, have, are, are new Christians or you haven't been around that long, and for those of you that have been around a long time, here's the fact of the matter that you're going to have battles. I promise you, God promises you, you will fight battles. And so they knew and understood that they were going to have some, some problems between Jordan River and getting all the way over to where Jerusalem was going to be. They were going to have some challenges to face. And so God brings them to the city of Jericho. You know the story. Impenetrable walls, this powerful city, incredible deal. God speaks to Joshua. They start out at Gilgal, this little city sort of off to the side north and next to, next to the Jordan River. And they do all this stuff. Actually, that's where they got circumcised. It's also the place where they, for only the third time, they celebrated the Passover. 
They celebrated it once on the night before they left Egypt. They celebrated it right after Sinai, and they never celebrated it again until they crossed the Jordan River and went into Gilgal. And so in Gilgal, they, they do this consecration. They're circumcised. I can't figure all that out, but don't even worry about it. Don't put it in your head. Don't get images or think anything. But they were preparing for this battle. They were following the word of the Lord. Of course, you know the story. They went to Jericho. It wasn't a battle at all. They circled the city seven times. The seventh time, blew the, tr- the horns. Boom, everybody in the city's dead except Rahab and her family. What a great victory. What an awesome time. Anybody in the room have things like that happen? God just went out ahead of you, and before you ever had to face the battle, he took the walls down, knocked it all down, and have a testimony. Come on, everybody in this room that's saved should have, a stand, have their hand up in the air right now. Thank you, Jesus. Well, little less known battles that you're probably aware of is this little city called Ai, or Ai, or if you want to get Hebrew about it, Ai. It's the next city, it's the next battle. And so, as they were completing the battle and the destruction of Jericho, God gave very specific instructions to the people that they were not to take spoil. And they weren't to take anything. Everything was to be destroyed, to be laid waste. There were certain things that were kept and consecrated for God only. But the people were not to take spoil. And so you see in verse 27, he says, man, Joshua was famed around the, around the, around the country. And, and everybody knew this great battle that he'd won. He'd been led by God. And then it says, but. You see, there was a new battle on the horizon. There was another problem to deal with. There was another issue. There was another medical bill. There was another illness that you're facing. There was another problem person on the job. There was another broken down car. There was another problem in your children. Whatever the case may be, it was on the horizon. And folks, I'm telling you today, there's a battle on the horizon. God's not done. Expect it. But understand that it's those battles that armor you and prepare you for the greater battles that are ahead. See, we're not out of the promised land yet. We're not into the new promised land yet. And it's going to get harder, and it's going to get harder. And until you know and understand the way God is expecting you to fight these battles, you're going to fall. You're going to have problems. You're going to have a but, B-U-T, in your life. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 1, it says this. It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. The accursed thing, those things set aside for God, those treasures, that spoil, that was not to be touched by anybody in Israel. It was for God. It was for the kingdom. It was for his purpose. But a man named Achan, which by the name translates as trouble or troubler, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took of the accursed thing. You can look back in Joshua 6.18 if you want the reference. That's exactly where it said. None of that was to be touched. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel because the failing and the faulting of this one man and this one family. God's anger was kindled against all of Israel. Joshua didn't know this. Joshua had no idea that this man had took spoil and plunder. There's 30,000 men in this army. There was tons of stuff going on, but he wasn't aware. Verse 2 says, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Haven on the east side of Bethel. So I want, to, I want you to get this picture. I hope everybody can see my illustration. But let's pretend right here is the Jordan River. Okay, right here. Line it up with something back here. Jordan River. Here's Gilgal. Okay, here's Jericho. And a little on ways down up in the upper north up here is Ai. And then right back behind Ai is Bethel. Okay, you got that picture over there? Sister Brown. 
Everybody knows what, some people know what I mean. Ask her later. Jordan River, Gilgal, Jericho, Ai, Bethel. Okay, Bethel means house of the Lord, just so you know. And so there's a new battle on the horizon, and they have to go and do this. In verse 2, in Joshua 7 says, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. They always send out spies to check things out, right? That's normal. They did that with Jericho. Of course, that's how they ran into Rahab, and Rahab saved the spies, and that's how she got saved. Okay, which is beside Beth Haven, the east side of Bethel. And they spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. So they did their spy job. That's excellent. So they come back. And by the way, Ai, or Ahi, if you will, means heap or heap of ruin. Think about that. Keep that in the back of your mind. So they come back and they basically say that Ai looks nothing like Jericho. It's just a little tiny town. It's just a heap of ruin. See, it's just a little heap. There's a little nothing there. There's nothing going on. And so they come back, and what's happened is that pride has seeped into this situation. See, they just fought the Battle of Jericho. Hey, look what I did. Jericho fell down in our presence. I was a hornblower, so, you know, if it wasn't for me, Jericho would still be... Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> See, Jer- Jericho would still be standing. Verse 3 says, and they returned to Joshua and said unto him, let not all the people go up. This is the spies now telling Joshua, the man of God, let not all the people go up. Oh, we don't want all the people to be blessed by the activities of God. We just want, we want them to rest. He says, get back there. He says, let not all the people go up, but there, let about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. Oh, wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be terrible to have to be used by God to go labor in this activity that God has directed you to do? Can I get an amen? amen. Well, I promise you, I'm not going to take away the opportunity to, for you to be blessed by God when there are things that need to be done in the camp of God. Amen. And if God says the people have to go do it, I'm going to tell the people we got to go do it. Okay, if you choose to break ranks and stay back because the labor's too hard, that's your choice. Everybody has their own specific circumstances. But they made this choice for the people of God. It wasn't too much of a labor to march around the city seven times and blow some horns, but suddenly that's a problem. And Joshua took the advice of the spies. He didn't pray. He didn't seek God's plan. See, God gave him the plan for Jericho. God spoke to Joshua. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Joshua 7 and 4 says, So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and immediately they fled before the men of Ai. <laughs> I mean... It doesn't even say there was a skirmish. There was nothing. They just ran up to AI and went, ah, and ran. Where was their boldness? Where was their courage? Because the reality of it is, we can't take credit for what God did for us at Jericho. We can't own what it was that God did at Jericho. When God's done victory in your life, when he's brought amazing things happening in your life, you can't walk out of that situation and say, well, I got God in my back pocket now, I'm just going to go on into the next battle. Because you know what? As soon as you get there, you realize that God's not in it. Come on, stick with me now. Joshua 7 and 5 says, And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shebarim. Shebarim, by the way, means a broken place where the ranks broke. And smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. My goodness, they just, every bit of courage just fell right out of them. 
And it says 36 men. You might think, well, wow, there was, there was 3,000. But the death of 36 men and their hearts went to water just like that. Well, I know pretty well just about everybody in this room. I'm guessing we're at about 175 or so. So if we extrapolated that down, that might be one or two people. Well, gosh, if Dennis Matucci suddenly dropped dead because we're involved in something that God's gotten us to do, that would shake me pretty hard. Wouldn't it shake you, Dennis? (laughs) See, at Jericho, nobody died because God was behind it. There was no death. There was no injury. There's no reports of a camp, of a, of a, rec- a hospital, or a recovery time. They just walked around the, the, the walls and did what they were supposed to do, and destruction was had. God brought it. He went out ahead of them and done it. And so now they, they've heard about 36 men have died, and they're shaken. My goodness, how is this possible? The fear came over them. They're in the flesh on this situation. Verse 6 says, And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and his elders of Israel put dust upon their heads. So here's Joshua, the leader, when they tear their clothes. You know, that's a great mourning. You know, and they're, they're, oh, he's distraught. He's, He's torn apart. He's fallen down on his... How effective is Joshua as a leader in that moment? He's devastated. Falls down before the ark of the covenant. It says until eventide. This for hours. He's on his face, rending his clothes and pouring dust on his head. He's just devastated. What does it do to, to the rest of the folks in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the troop or the squad or the command when the leader falls apart? Doesn't instill a lot of courage. And look what God does in the next couple of verses. Verse 7, it says, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? What a ridiculous comment. He literally says, Why did you just bring us over the Jordan just to be killed by the Amorites? Seriously? Were you at Jericho, Joshua? Hello? He literally blames God. Why'd you bring us over here for this mess? And then he says, would, would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Oh my goodness. Now he sounds like the Israelites in the wilderness. Egypt was so much better. Oh, Egypt is where all the good food was. Why did we come out here? Oh man, when that stuff started, God got angry. Folks, I'm telling you, don't ever get to a place. Don't ever get to a place of your time in church and the things that you're doing and your, devast- excuse me, your devotion to God. And you get to a place and say, oh man, God, why did you bring? Don't start regretting your salvation is what I'm saying. Don't start regretting what God has brought you to and what he's made you know and what you've come to know and understand about him. Because if you start wanting Egypt, if you start yearning back for that old life, swift destruction is going to come your way. A generation of Israelites were not allowed to enter into the, into the promised land because of those words. And Joshua says it to God. Weren't we all right on the other side of Jordan? It was a wasteland. And then he says in verse 8, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their backs before their enemies? You're the leader, Joshua. What do you think you should say? He says in verse 9, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall invite around us and cut off our name from the earth. What wilt thou do until thy great name? 
He just went to pieces, and he just went totally carnal. He's basically saying, what's going to happen to us? The mean people are going to find out that we're weak, and they're going to come and kill us. That's what he's saying. Come on, is anybody relating? I'm laying it on pretty thick. So I hope that's... <laughs> so he's, he's turning to God. And he's whining to him. Verse 10, he says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get up! Quit whining! He says, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? You're a child of the king. You're a prince of the people. You're a king. You're a prince in my world. You're full of the Holy Ghost. Folks, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there's times in your life and in purpose and in prayer that you're not on your face humbling yourself before God. There's time, I'm weeping up here at the altar just at the power of God. Don't get me wrong. I'm not mocking that. But what I'm saying this is that Joshua was a powerful, anointed man of God. He had just gone through this situation where God used him in this destruction of Jericho. He was anointed to be the leader of Israel. He was allowed into the promised land because of Moses' failures. He's looking at him, and he, God's looking at him and saying, get up! What are you doing? Stop this whining and be a leader! Now, I hope by this point, you've put yourself in the seat of Joshua, okay? Joshua's not me or Brother Kylie or pastors. Joshua's all of us, you understand? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm not very good at this. Joshua 7 and 11 says, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing have stolen and dissembled, which means deceived or lied. Also, they have put it among their own stuff. By the way, I love it that God uses the word stuff. That's the King James Version too. That's not ESV or any of these NIT. That's the King James. He said stuff. Stuff is a common cool word. Hey, that's my stuff. Leave it alone. (laughs) They touched God's stuff and he didn't like it. And they lied about it. Now notice, as God is reading this off to Joshua, he's not chastising Joshua for not having prayed. You notice that? He's not, having, he's not chastising Joshua having gone to him first. See, that part's a given. The greater issue here is what the people did and the fact that Joshua is responsible for it. You understand? He's the leader. He didn't have to come out and say, you didn't pray, you didn't do this, blah, blah, blah. This stuff has happened. These accursed things have been taken. Things have been stolen and lied about. Verse 12, therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. This is a key, key verse. Everybody circle 7 and 12 in your Bible. This is a key verse because he says, then neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Do you understand what he's saying? Do you understand the significance of that very verse? He's literally saying the children of Israel, the people of abundant life cannot stand against their enemies when they're going to face them if they take the accursed thing. And you'll turn and run. You know what happens in the Bible every time somebody turns and runs, by the way? I think it's almost exclusive. You Bible scholars can check me on this. You said it. I think you said it, didn't you, Miranda? 
Uh, what's that? Yeah, that's a good one. That's excellent. Yes, bad things. That's what I was going to say, really. I, specifically, but bad things happen when you turn and run. She said pillar of salt, if you didn't hear. Talking about Lot's wife. That was an excellent example. But the enemy is going to catch up with you one way or another, and you'll be destroyed. You can't do that. But the worst thing he says is that neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Folks, if you're hanging on to things, oh man, this is going to be hard for me to say. If you're hanging on things in the world, if you're hanging on to things you shouldn't be hanging on to, if you're a hold of the cursed thing, God's saying, I'm not going to be with you. You're not going to have the strength to fight these fights. There's just something about hanging on to that stuff that says, I don't believe in God. I'm not trusting in him. I'm going to fight this battle on my own. If you fight this accursed, this, this battle with the accursed thing, I'm not with you. You understand, sin totally separates you from God. 7 and 13 says this. God says, up. Again, I love that. Get up. Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel, thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. If I was Joshua, I would say every single one of you, get home, clean out your tents, look underneath the cupboards, get inside your room, in your bedroom, in your drawers, in your closet, whatever it may be. And if there be any accursed thing that God is not pleased about, get rid of it. Because he's saying that by the time you have to face your enemy, you're going to face him alone and you're going to turn. Folks, I understand this is strong language. But these are desperate times. It's time for strong language. It's time for strong direction. And that's what God's saying. He's kicking me in the tail, if you don't mind my saying so, and saying it's time that we start to get a hold of these things and understand that we have no place, no part in taking part of what's available in the world, the things that are accursed that God doesn't want you to have. I told you at the beginning of this, he spoke to me as well. Begin to examine, begin to look. They took what belonged to the Lord. I want you to skip over to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. This is just a little edification. I've got two scriptures I want to share in this regard for edification purposes. The people of Israel, Achan's family, took what belonged to the Lord. Now, you might say, well, how is it, if it belongs to the Lord, how is it accursed? Because it belongs to the Lord. Any removal from him, changing the ownership, makes it accursed. It's protected. You can look all that up. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6 says this. I'll give you a second to turn there. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a, fear, a cheerful giver, 
And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. See, Achan was lusting. He, was, he looked after those things. And you're going to hear it here in just a minute. He took those things because he didn't, wasn't believing in God. And you're going to learn a little bit more about what God decided to do. Because there's a tale of two battles here, by the way. If I didn't lay that out first, there's a tale of two battles before we get to after the battle. This is the bad one. This is the one that went wrong, where people died. And God was unhappy. So Joshua, I'm going to skip past 14 through 18, but essentially what happens is Joshua follows the command of the Lord and he starts to take lots amongst the tribes of Israel, amongst the, amongst the camps, and he sort of susses it all down and figures out that it's, it's, it's Achan's family. He, get, he gets it all figured out, God directs him. Doesn't say it in the word, but essentially he comes to that conclusion. He's guided to that and he brings Achan out. Verse 19 says, And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, have I sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. And I did this, and I did this, and he tells the whole story. Spills it all. When I, sent among, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. He spills it all. But he finds a Babylonian garden. Who, who understands who Babylon was at that point? Was Babylon part of Israel? Was that a good? No. Babylon was the people of evil. Where in the world did Joshua think he was going to wear this garment? <laughs> He's going to throw this stuff on just like, Josh, what's up? He's going to know. It's the garment of the evil people. But my goodness, isn't it interesting how he coveted it after something from the world and the way the world looked and the way the world dressed and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight he admits I coveted them he desired on the look of the worldly evil by the way same question where is he going to spend all this wealth they're in a stinking desert there's, there's nothing there. There's no, who's there for you to spend on? What are you thinking, man? But he lusted it just because it was wealth. He stuck it under the ground in his tent just to say, look at me, I'm rich. How much do we admire the prosperity of the wicked, as the prophet said? Skipping through 22 through 24, just trying to be speedy here. They basically went down, Joshua sent messengers, they went and found the stuff. Yep, there it is, they bring it back, bring all the stuff back, bring his animals, his daughters, his oxen, everybody. Verse 25 says this, and Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? Now remember, Achan's name is Trouble, Troubler. So Joshua's got a sense of humor here, he kind of plays on words. He says, he says, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned him with fire. And after they had stoned them with stones... And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day, which means Valley of Trouble. 
Now, there's a lot of debate whether his family was stoned, whether they even knew anything had gone on. Did they, was God so mean to his children and all that stuff? I can't tell you that. It does say they stoned him, but it says they burned them with fire. I'm going to assume that them is all of his stuff. But it's possible that his children were punished too. I don't know. So they built this great tower, this monument, just like they put the stones out in the river to, monu- to, to create a monument and a memorial for what God had done bringing them across the river. They put this big monument up there. They stacked them up with stones to remember what had happened in this situation. Sometimes, folks, when you kill that thing in your life, you've got to bury it deep. And if you've got to stack it with a stack of stones a thousand feet high so that you never touch it again, so that you never forget the devastation that particular issue brought to your life, then do it. Make that memorial for what you've defeated in your life. That's the message. Now let's go to the second battle, the battle that went God's way, the battle that we should learn from. Joshua 8 and 1 says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into the hand, thy hand, the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. In one statement, as God is doing the will, as Joshua is doing the will of God, God already said, I've given them into your hand. The battle is already won. The defeat is already set for the people of Ai. But notice he said, take all the people. See, the big mistake was sending out this little troop of 3,000. Everybody's got to be on board. Everybody's got to be on board with God's plan. Do you understand? Everybody's got to be on board with God's plan as he gives it to the man of God. Everybody's got to be on board. Thank you for understanding that. Verse 2 says this, And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou did unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil of... Now, here's the beauty of the whole deal. This is the God we serve. Listen to this. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. He gave them the spoil. He gave them the riches. If Achan had just taken time to follow the will of God, he would have gotten what he stole and a whole lot more. You understand? They got the plunder of the whole city. How many times do we have to rush in in our flesh to capture something we want? This little thing that we desire so much, sometimes to the mistake of our own families, things that go wrong, the thing is a mess. Maybe you shouldn't have run in and bought that car. Maybe you shouldn't have done that house. It's too big of a mortgage for you. Maybe you shouldn't have made that decision without talking to God. And how many times do we end up with this one little thing? The little teddy bear. We won, we won, we won. We spent $1,000 in the machine, but the claw finally got the teddy bear. (laughs) Meanwhile... God's standing behind you and has a house-sized teddy bear going, I had this one for you. 
We've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop thinking small. We've got to get the scarcity mentality out of our minds. We've got to start reeling that this is the God of the universe that we're talking about. He wants to give you the desires of your heart, but you've got to get into your tent, and you've got to take those accursed things and get rid of them because that accursed stuff is meaningless and worthless in comparison to the gift that God's got for you. Woo! You understand he's got more for you than you could ever desire. Joshua 8, 3 through 13, I'm going to pass through as well. But here's the deal. God gives Joshua the new plan. This is cool. Okay, remember the illustration I gave you earlier? So we got Jordan, we got Gilgal, we got Jericho, we got Ai, and we got Bethel. So here's what God says. He says, take that same 3,000, that same group of guys, and you're going to go camp out in front of Ai, decoy. But you're going to take all the rest of the host, and you're going to go camp out by Bethel house of God, okay? You're going to be between Bethel and the backside of Ai. And there's going to be that small group that's going to be where they came before. See, Satan is dumb. He does the same stuff over and over and over again until you figure it out. He figures out it doesn't work anymore. So they know that the king of Ai is going to be proud. Oh, we whipped those Israelites before, so here they come again. Sure enough, they get the people out in front of Ai, Joshua says, and when the people, when the king saw them out there, he says, oh, here's these stupid Israelites again. Let's go. And this time, everybody went after the Israelites. And the Bible says, in that scripture we're passing over, it says that Joshua made like he was in fear and ran. So they pretended to turn and run. Okay? So now the people that were, that were in ambush behind Ai saw that the city was empty, rushed in, plundered it, burned it, and it was on fire and smoking. By this time, the king of Ai and all the people turn around and say, oh my goodness, our city's burning. Our heap of ruin is on fire. Isn't that sad? The heap's on fire. And all of a sudden, they turn around, and guess what? Joshua's looking them in the eyes. Because at that point, Joshua turned around. By the way, this is known as the Joshua Pincher movement. It really is. It's a tactical thing. The pincher of a, of a, of a claw, of a crab, lobster, whatever. So they're surrounded. They move in on them, destroy them all. Don't laugh at my example. That's really what it's called. It's called the pincer movement. Okay, verse 14 says, And it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it, that they hasted and rose up early, and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people a time appointed before the plain. But he wist not that there were liars in ambush. He didn't know that there were people in ambush against him behind the city. So he just did the same thing he always does. Satan will always continue to come back and do the same things to you over and over again. He doesn't learn. He's always the same new trick. You just need to understand that if you fall once and you make a mistake once and the enemy did something to you and he got you, he got that gotcha moment, just understand it, know it, realize it, and don't let it happen again. Do everything you can within your power through prayer and through guidance and direction not to allow that thing to happen again. Because sin that goes on long enough becomes iniquity. And then you're in trouble. Verse 17 says, and there was not a man left in Ar Bethel that went not out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. And of course, I just covered that area for you. So God gave them a tremendous plan. Destroyed all of Ai. Great victory for God. Now down to verse 22, it says, and the other issued out of the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on the side, some on that side, and they smote them so that they left none of them remain 
or escape. There is no mercy. Folks, I've said this before in other examples. You must destroy your enemies utterly. You've got to take the head off Goliath. It's not enough to put it away for a while. Well, here's this little thing I do. I've got a major issue with alcohol. I'm going to use that as an example. Poor example, I know. You can't take it and put it down in the basement in a box, put tape over the top of it, tuck it away under somewhere, and say, well, now I'm done with that. Because all you're doing is setting yourself up for the day when you get weak and you decide, well, one little... You following me on this? You have to destroy your enemies utterly. No mercy. No mercy. Verse 23 says, And the king of Ai they took alive and they brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass, when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, wherein they chased them, and when they were fall, fallen on the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai, smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. Israel lost 36 people. The enemy lost 12,000. For Joshua drew not his hand back. Okay, so now in part of that story that I skipped through, I'm sorry about that, there was a point when God said when it was time for the battle, he told Joshua, take your spear, point your spear towards Ai. Anybody remember Moses over the battle of the Amalekites? He said, point your spear to Ai. So the leader, that's you, remember, not just me, that's you. The leader stood and pointed and followed God's order. And as long as he had that staff, that that spear pointed at Ai, and the enemy battled, they were destroyed. And it says in that scripture that Joshua drew not his hand back. He was making a statement. I'm defying you, devil. You understand? Don't draw back. Don't give it a little while. Come to church. I'm having a problem. I'm having a challenge. I'm having this issue. Come to church a little bit of five minutes at the altar and then draw back and go home and deal with the same problem on your own. You understand? Keep that spear pointed forward. Keep that hand of defiance, that fist that's wrapped around that spear. Give the devil that hand of defiance and say, I'm going to keep this thing in the air. I'm going to keep coming to the altar and praying. I'm going to keep praying in the secret place in my home. I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray until God takes care of this thing. Don't draw that sword back. Don't draw that spear back away. Don't give up is what I'm trying to say. Joshua drew not his hand back wherewith he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. The man of God will continue to direct you in battle, by the way. Don't miss out on that symbolism. The man of God is defined and designed to direct these battles. If you sit in counsel with Brother Kylie or myself or one of the pastors and the man of God is giving you that spear and that direction and he's saying this is the way you fight the battle. Don't get up out of the office and walk away and do the opposite of what he says. That never happens, does it, Brother Kylie? Verse 27 says, Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves according to the word of God word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua, and Joshua burnt Ai and made it a heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide, and as soon as the sun was down, I'm assuming he was dead, Joshua commanded that they should take the carcass down from the tree, that's gross, and cast it into the entering of the gate of the city, and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. Remember what they did to Achan? 
the heap of stones. This was Achan's revenge. Because now they have a pile of stones piled up. But look what they did. Okay, now we're going to get to the good part. The title of the message. Now, after the battle. After the battle. Verse 30 says this, Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. Folks, always build your altar of worship. It's not just here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. Build your altar of worship. Let it be in your car. Let it be when you're quietly speaking and talking to God in your workstation at work. Let it be wherever you are. Always build your altar of worship. In every example where God's will was, and God's providence was made, when Noah stepped out of the ark onto dry land, what did he do? He built an altar. I mean, every single time that God's providence is shown in the word of God, the men of God who knew that they needed this enemy to be utterly and completely destroyed, they needed this enemy to be totally done. This problem, this challenge, whatever it is, when it's defeated, defeat it utterly and build an altar of worship. Yeah. Folks, praise the Lord. Let's give my hand. That's all right. I use the alcohol example. So, Sister Brown, I'm going to use this as an example, and you correct me if I'm wrong. But if alcohol was the issue, let's just use that and you've defeated that thing in your life. I would think, I would think the best possible thing that a recovering alcoholic could do is every single day that they pray and they worship God, they say, God, thank you for the victory over alcohol. Every day of their lives, for the rest of their lives, as long as they live, thank you for the victory over alcohol. Verse 31 says, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man hath lift an iron. In other words, there's no carvings being done on these stones. There's no glory to men in this situation. God brought this victory. God made this thing happen. This altar isn't because you did it. It's not because somebody helped you do it. It's because God brought this victory. So he didn't even allow them to carve into the stones. He didn't allow them to mark it. But he did say this. They offered up thereon a burnt offering unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Does anybody in the, in the room know what peace, how we sacrifice peace offerings? Somebody's got to know. Worship. This is our peace offering. We raise our hands and surrender. We surrender. Verse 32, and then he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses when he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel and all Israel, all their elders and officers and the judges stood on the side of the ark and on the side before the priests and the Levites which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord as well as the stranger as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount Gerizim and half over the Mount Ebal. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. In other words, they have now occupied all of the land. They were occupying what God had given them, the victory, the territory they'd won. And afterward, he read all the words of the law. You hear? He read all the words of the law, blessings and cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. Verse 35 says, There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were covenant among them, conversant among them. What that basically says is this. Everyone, every word, all the time, 
All of it has to be lived. You've heard me say it before many times. If it's between the two black covers, we're going to preach it. We're going to teach it. We're going to live it. We're going to model it. And we're going to example it. Because I can tell you from my perspective, and you can stand this morning, I can tell you from my perspective that I don't want to end up under a heap of stones with no name on it. See, Achan wasn't identified in there. It was for a memory. The king of Ai, we don't even have his name. I don't want to end up a monument to destruction and failure. I don't want to have something slipping in during the battle. I don't want to fall to weakness and say, I can charge into that situation and I can handle it on my own. By the way, I've done that many times. Trust me, it's not the way to go. What I'm trying to say to you is we have to learn how to do this battle the right way. And there are sacrifices that we have to make. There are directions that we have to take. But we've got to seek God first. We've got to get his will involved in this. Listen, I know that there are people. I know there are people in this room that are dealing with some hurts and some challenges. I'm made aware. Some of you I've talked to about it. It weighs on me. It's heavy on me to know that my family, my friends, my church are hurting. I know you're dealing with issues. But I'm going to close with this. Isaiah 54 and 17, you know it well. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and 4, the Lord God will go with you to fight for you against your enemies. 1 John chapter 4, greater is he that is within you than he that's within the world. Romans 8 and 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? The, pro, the, the servant of Elisha stood out and he looked around and he saw all the chariots and all the enemy that the king had sent to destroy Elijah, Elisha. And Elisha just simply said, God, I need you to open his eyes. And I'm saying today, God, I just want you to open their eyes. I want this group of people, this fine, awesome group of people, my friends and family and loved ones, God, I want you to open their eyes today and I want you to see that there are chariots of fire rimming around this sanctuary when you praise and you worship and God's standing there. There's countless more chariots that are standing there ready to go to battle for you. You just gotta see it. You just gotta see it. Psalms 118 and 10. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.